it's rough out here for people like me, burdened with always having the correct opinion. Welcome to the Sync Stations podcast. My name is Eliza, and this episode goes out to anyone who's ever been cheated on. Hello, my name is Olive, and just this past week, I was um actually twice about my own podcast because someone informed us on Instagram, a correction, that last episode we said that Brittany was a junior when that is incorrect. She's actually a senior who just happens to get held back at the end of this uh, season. I was also um actually because I said that my partner and I had in a vinyl called Disco Duck that is Donald Duck co- covers of disco songs. It's apparently not. It's called Mickey Mouse Disco and it does not have the track Disco Duck on it. It has a track called Macho Duck, which you would think is a Donald Duck cover of Macho Man. It's also not. It's just a completely separate song. Two things. First of all, I will not apologize for being wrong about a tiny character thing on Glee that I'm sure that the writers didn't think through either. Um, So that's thing one. Thing two, how are you going to have Donald Duck, Mickey and Friends disco compilation, and Mm -hmm. not have Donald Duck sing Disco Duck? I think that that is a federal crime. I was um actually by a stranger on the internet, and then I was um actually by my own boyfriend. So you decide which is worse. I don't know if we've ever actually said his name on the podcast, but kick him to a curve. So uh, this episode is um, the Whitney Houston episode. It's the Whitney tribute. So uh, Whitney Houston died just a little bit before, um, basically, I guess when Glee would have been filming. And so I think what they probably did is they kind of, I hate to say shoved in a tribute episode, but nothing super plot relevant happens this episode. And that's okay because we get some banger covers out of it. Um, She died in, I think, February of 2012. And this episode came out in April. So very timely. We open the episode with the gorgeous cover of How Will I Know? It's amazing. It's a quartet with Santana, Mercedes, Rachel, and Kurt. They all get a solo piece. Kurt is holding them all together with this rich alto harmony. It's beautiful. It's a Rachel Berry solo I don't mind because it's not just Rachel Berry overpowering everyone else. Like, she's Mm -hmm. blending. She's She's blending. blending. I don't, there's not a lot going on during this number. So similar to some of the disco numbers last episode, like, there's just not a lot to say, but they're all in beautiful formal wear. And it's just musically, sonically, just a great number to listen to. Yeah. It's a great arrangement. Um, And in case anyone didn't know when watching this episode back in 2012, Whitney had died a couple months earlier, I guess. And so we go into a little bit of an exposition episode where Emma shows Will a pamphlet called Princess Die. Uh, Why am I crying? Or something like that. And she explains how when she was a little girl, or sorry, not a little girl, when she was uh, in her senior year of high school, Princess Diana died. And um, it was really devastating to her because it kind of symbolized letting go of a lot of childhood dreams and like a role model that she really looked up to. And so, um, although Whitney Houston is a very different woman than Princess Diana, she can kind of relate to what young people might be going through now because again they're losing 
a great role model and a great um symbol icon yeah an icon i was gonna say a uh a female empowerment and we cut to the first kind of the first glee meeting of the episode where rachel and mercedes are arguing about who the bodyguard was originally written for rachel argues it was written for barbara streisand and mercedes appears to be arguing that it was written for whitney obviously because she's the one who got famous off of and i will always love you and will corrects them and says no it was actually written for diana ross this is probably a good time to mention i only know like three whitney houston songs do you know the ones that they sing in this episode i mean i i only know like three whitney houston songs before i watched this and learned others yeah um, i mean I feel like people already haven't forgiven you for not knowing who Cher was last episode, so. I know, but I need to defend myself. Um, I just, I need, there's like nowhere else for me to put this opinion. So I just need to put this opinion into the world that I'm Your Baby Tonight by Whitney Houston sounds like the cartoon X-Men theme to me. Oh, okay. It's similar in my head. I just have thought this for years and I needed a platform to express this opinion, which is the entire reason that I made this podcast so we can end it right now. <laughs> okay. I don't believe you. Because uh, we do have to do the choke episode next time. So we got to get through that. Anyway, um, Will announces they're going to do a Whitney Houston tribute. And Sam asks, are we sure that's appropriate? Didn't, he, didn't Whitney Houston, like, have a lot of problems? Like, she was pretty known for dealing with um, drug addiction throughout her career. Um, and actually, very unlike the Britney episodes, pretty much everyone is very quick to defend Whitney. Like, she had a hard life, and it's about celebrating her legacy, not necessarily her uh, darkest moments. Where was this respect for Britney Spears? when they were focusing on her well britney spears is a cultural joke so it was fine like it's fine to make fun of britney spears for getting involved in a bad situation or uh, having a hard life and yet i mean not that we should be mad at either of them for having a hard life but i'm just saying whitney kind of gets like a lot more immediate sympathy than uh than britney did and i think that's unfair towards britney anyway so Will says that, you know, he wants them to use Whitney Houston songs to really get to the core of their feelings and express what's going on with them. And, you know, for a lot of them, they are nearing graduation. Um, he says Rachel, the next few weeks. So like one must assume. Yeah, I think he says it's the next few weeks. So it's got to be like March or April right now. Yeah. Santana speaks up a little bit and she's like well you know you're reading into a lot of this don't put you know we do think Whitney Houston was incredible but like don't put all that baggage on us necessarily I guess just saying like you know we can mourn the loss of someone we admired without it necessarily tying into every emotional point of our lives which is fair and Rachel's like oh well I need to start practicing Whitney's version of the Star Spangled Banner and I'm like, girl, shut up. I will not listen to that. Once again, this is one of those episodes where it's so obvious that nobody's ever punched Rachel Berry in the mouth. We cut to a little scene. It's kind of connected. Kurt talks with Blaine in the hallway about how he needs to pick up 
sheet music for his Whitney songs. Um, he wants to do, he, he's got like a bunch of ideas and he wants to do one for the assignment in Glee Club this week and then pick another one for his Niata audition. And he wants to go to the sheet music shop later that day, but Blaine just says he can't and he's busy. And so we cut to Kurt alone, just looking through sheet music and this little twink comes up to him and goes, oh, my God. Because I love that's that. the only type of gay guy. That there there are two types of gay guy to Ryan Murphy, twinks and Dave Karofsky. And that's it. Anyway, he, he compliments Kurt's hippopotamus brooch. Which is a and fabulous I know that, brooch. Oh, I was about to say, I know that I am a noted Kurt's outfit defender, but this one's a lot. Oh, the outfit is bad. Can I describe? He's wearing a camouflage suit jacket blazer and a gray button-up with red polka dots on it. And yes, a brooch that looks like a hippopotamus's head that's been mounted on a wall. The brooch is fabulous. The outfit is atrocious. It's just a lot. This twink is named Chandler, and he is also apparently auditioning for um, the musical theater program at NYU. And so they start to bond a little bit about like both having auditions coming up and Chandler is like really enthusiastic. He's kind of giving, fuck, what's a drug that makes you really peppy? Adderall. Giving the energy of everybody on the vitamin D episode. Oh yeah. You know what? And, and this is obviously a stark contrast to Blaine just kind of, I I don't want to say brushing Kurt off. He just, you know, said he was busy, had something else to do. And Kurt is very, I think, taken aback by seeing someone so enthusiastic to, like, share things in common with him. Um, Which has really only ever happened with Blaine before. I mean, I do think that there is something very special about, like, being, being Kurt Hummel, being a gay person. I think there's something very special about being Kurt Hummel. Full stop. That's the thesis of this whole fucking podcast. I think there's something special about being, you know, a gay person with not a lot of gay friends. And so every time you interact with another queer person, it's like, ah, exciting. Um, and exactly, so, that's what I meant. And so when um, Chandler, at the end of this scene, asks for Kurt's number, it is assumed that he does give it to him. I will say, it doesn't really seem like they're flirting in this scene. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with Chandler just asking for his number because like, hey, it seems like we have things in common. We should be friends. Totally fine so far. We cut to another Glee rehearsal where Brittany is doing um, I Want to Dance with Somebody. And I personally hate this cover because they lower the key really weirdly for Heather Morris and it sounds gross. It sounds bad, but it looks cute because I love a Britannia moment. It's it's okay. I mean, obviously Heather Morris is doing a great job because it's like a dance heavy number, but the the sonic sound of it gets too much for me. Heather Morris is a good singer when they give her songs that like fit her voice well, but with this one, I think they just kind of went like, "Hey, you're the dancer. Do the song about dancing." Yeah. They also put them in these really gross like gray Heather slip dresses at the end with bows in their hair and it looks bad i don't like it at yeah. all and as they end the number britney says something about like oh you guys are all cool dancers and quinn you're still dancing in my dreams because quinn is in a wheelchair 
and obviously after being like called out she like also that says me. you can fly and breathe fire fucking hysterical i love britney um and but like, so you know we, it's a hard cut to the end of glee club and they're walking out and and joe walks up mm-hmm. and is like you look kind of bummed out back there um how's your physical therapy going and Quinn and she, is like, I keep going, but nothing is happening. It's depressing. And been then, there, bitch. Been there, bitch. Um, he does something that, in, in my opinion, is absolutely insane and offers to go to her physical therapy appointment with her. Now, as an individual who has many times before, and I suspect many times again, asked people to come with me to the doctor's office, my... My friend has taken me to two separate MRIs, but that's my best friend. That's not some guy I'm in a club with. We have, with the exception of the few times in the God Squad, we have literally never even had a hint that they've interacted ever. To be fair, because they are in two clubs together, I guess it is kind of implied they know each other a little bit better. I was going to talk a little bit more about, like, I think it is nice that Joe offers, and I think it is nice that he makes a point about, like, you know, I am a Christian and I want to be here for you and, uh, you know, be a kind person with my actions, not just talk about being a Christian. Yeah, He says being a Christian isn't just about talk. It's about like actually helping people, which is great. But if I was Quinn, I would also be like, I'm not your goddamn charity case. Yeah, it's giving, it's so, it's so giving like, oh my God, this is a perfect example for me to be a good person. Yeah, this it's is a giving great opportunity like for me to be a capital G, capital P good person. Yeah, it's a. I guess I wouldn't say Joe necessarily is looking for like you know a medal of honor for going out of his way and being nice to the girl in the wheelchair. But it's also if like if there's no reason for you to do something other than like, well, I'm a Christian, so I'll do it. It's like, how about you help Quinn because she's your friend. Or how about you not help Quinn because it doesn't seem like she wants your help? It's weird. Anyway, we go back to um, Will and Emma and he hands her this like wedding planners um, little pamphlet called I Do's Done Right Wedding Planning by Mr. Lavender. Um, And so they are going to... um, Because he says he got a pretty decent tax refund and sold some blood platelets they can hire a wedding planner um and they say like oh well we'll have the wedding at christmas so the church will already be decorated will says he wants the wedding to be moved up to may and emma's like oh that's next month is this just because we want to have sex faster just so everybody's aware i just let out an atonal screech Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about, I don't want to hear about, I don't want to be told anything about Will Schuster and sex in the same sentence. I don't want to be told about Will Schuster. I mean, Period. there is that. And Will's whole thing is like, oh, well, we've just... been... And Will's whole thing is like, oh, well, we've been in love for three years, so there's no reason we should wait till the end of december in order to get married how has it been three fucking years we're in season three bitch i know but like have they been in love for three years that doesn't feel right 
And like he says, the whole point in hiring a wedding planner is so that it can get planned in a shorter amount of time. Like it's the wedding planner's job to organize all that. But I don't know. Emma is like a person who really enjoys organizing. So I feel like it would be fun for her to plan a wedding, you know? Yeah. Also, like genuinely, genuinely. What is the reason for moving the wedding up? Also, hate to spoil it, but it ends up backfiring really heavy on them. Yeah, like, I know that this is barely comparable because Finn and Rachel are teenagers and Will and Emma are adults, albeit adults that frequently act like teenagers. But, like, why the wedding rush? Why the Mm -hmm. wedding rush? Me at the Glee Writers, was this good for ratings? Yeah, I don't know. I, it must have been. I guess it's just because it's the end of the school year. And so plot wise, like a lot of stuff is kind of snowballing right now. Um, We cut to Rachel and Kurt at his locker. And we do see a bedazzled portrait of Whitney Houston in his locker, as you might guess. Um, And she's explaining how like, oh, she just can't get this Star Spangled Banner right. Because like, duh, Rachel, Whitney Houston is a fucking of course rachel whitney houston was one of the most talented vocalists of all time and you're a high schooler and And you're just some bitch from ohio and rachel notices that kurt is kind of texting and like giggling at his phone and she's like oh you must be texting blaine because like that's how i smile whenever finn texts me cute stuff and Kurt's he like me cute stuff usually it's puns about my boobs but i still appreciate the effort I want to see Finn make more puns on this show. I've never seen him make I a pun. I want to know what the boob puns are. I, I must know well. the boob puns. And Kurt reveals like, oh no, these aren't from Blaine. It's just a guy I met at the She Music store, which is called Between the Sheets. Whack name. And Rachel is definitely a little like sus about this already. Like, um... like this is pretty friendly for like just a guy you just met and kurt's like oh no it's just innocent um and the text is are you an astronaut because your smile is out of this world and rachel's like uh that's clearly flirting and she can see his text and they've been texting for like two days straight now and kurt's like oh no it's just for fun because he makes me feel good and rachel's like well blaine is your boyfriend I'm with Rachel on this. Words that I never thought I would say. Here's the thing. One, I do think on some level Kurt is in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should have told Blaine about this one. It's one thing if you meet a person, you start texting and it's just like, oh, I have this new friend. It's nice to feel good, but also you are in a committed relationship. And he brings it up later and he has this excuse that I think is very, mm. two, I think that every single person in this episode blows it wildly out of proportion. I think both can be true. I think Kurt knows that it's wrong because he's keeping it from Blaine. If he didn't know it was wrong, he wouldn't be keeping it from Blaine. He would be like, oh yeah, it's this fun guy that I've been texting. He would be willing to be honest about it. But because he's keeping it secret, he knows it's something that Blaine wouldn't be happy about. Given the absolutely everything else that all of the other members of this glee club have done to each other and... Looking for, with the benefit of hindsight from someone who's seen through season six, will continue to do to each other. This episode has been elevated to high camp. Yeah, I just, I think both can be true that like what Kurt is doing is not okay. 
but it also gets really blown out of proportion because we want to hear Darren Chris do it's not right but it's okay yeah Yeah. it's I this is so contrived and stupid because literally never before and never again has Blaine acted like this at all it's so contrived for this episode only but I don't even care I don't even care because Darren Chris doing it's not right but it's okay so Rachel Kurt kind of tries to make the argument that like oh it's just because you know Blaine and I do love each other but things are getting you know kind of in a routine with him now so like I'm just doing it for a little fun and Rachel's like well would you show those texts to Blaine and he's like of course not and she's like so I guess it's not just innocent fun now is it also the guy's not even cute the guy's not even cute he's mad the yeah. other funny thing is that Kurt says, I don't think we've had an unscheduled makeout session in like a month. Um, I It's just such great characterization for them both that they schedule their makeout sessions. Listen, Blaine is autistic and I don't care what anyone else says. I was saying I liked it. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that other people, there are other people who listen to this podcast who might disagree with me. They're wrong. Well, they're wrong. Um, anyway, Wayne is autistic. Kurt has OCD. Kurt, Kurt has OCD. Like that's literally canon. Finn Hudson is bisexual. Accept those facts or leave. So we um, hard cut into the next Glee Club meeting, and Joe gets up and says that because he's been going to Quinn's physical rehab for I guess a couple for a week now, several times. Um, they've apparently had time to also rehearse a Whitney song together and they do saving all my love for you. And it's fine. I think when they won the Glee project, part of their winning was that they would get like a character centric episode. And so I think this is one of those like, okay, he won the Glee project. So we got to like throw him a bone. It's fine. (laughs) I also hate Quinn's hair here. She looks like a 50s this housewife. This is a rough hair season for Quinn. Also, when, also as they're singing, oh fuck, I forgot about this. As they're singing, they're in Glee Club with each other and they're singing like to each other and I cannot imagine how awkward it must be to be one of the people watching them as they're like making eyes at each other. It's giving the same energy as when Finn and Rachel kissed on the national stage. Like, ugh, get it's, a fucking room. It's terrific. It's and like we see these cutaways. It's like watching the car crash that Quinn was in that we didn't get to see. We haven't even gotten to the worst part of it yet because towards the end of the song, we start seeing these little cutaways where he is like helping her with physical therapy and stretching her legs. There's no doctors around or nothing. Of course not. And he like leans over her and gets really close to her face like he's going to kiss her and then has I to move kick away. Him. And then has to move away. And we he doesn't say it here, but we find out it's because he got an erection from helping her. And then when that song ends, assumably a commercial break would happen. We come back. And for all my drag race fans out there, it's but for all my gays out there, it's the Santana and Rachel cover of So Emotional. Snaps, claps, whatever you do to cheer. It's fantastic. I've shown you the Sasha Valore like wig. Yes, you have videos. several times now. It's great. It's so good. I, 
I know all the Drag Race fans can't think of this song without thinking of the Sasha Valor reveal, but this is also a really great cover. Before we need to Sasha link Valor, that video in the show notes so that everyone else can see what the fuck you're talking about. Um, I'm certain that if there's any gays watching this podcast, they know what I'm talking about. I mean, for people who don't, people like me who didn't watch Drag Race. Well, I just think the gay trifecta of of Whitney Houston is the, or it's not a trifecta because I can't think what the third thing would be, but it's like Sasha Valore's so emotional, Glee's so emotional, and then there's got to be like a third cover of so so emotional that's also really gay. Um, I'm sure that someone will somebody comment it and let us know. And as they're singing, Kurt is notably like in kind of the back row of the Glee Club. And he's also giggling on his phone. And we see that Chandler has texted him, are you Cleopatra? Because you've got a great asp. Which, again, that is clearly, clearly flirtatious. If you want to be very generous with it, you can say that your smile is out of this world. Like, I would say that to several of my friends. My friends have lovely smiles. Like, it's a stretch, certainly, but, like, this is blatant. This is unignorable. Yeah. It's it's getting to be too much. And um, I guess it's, Blaine still doesn't know about it at that point, even though, like, he's pretty obviously distracted by it in Glee Club. We cut to um, all of the girls doing their hair in the girls' bathroom for some reason. They're just brushing their hair in the bathroom. Um, and they're all asking, and they're all asking Quinn about like, "Mm, you and Joe seem to have gotten pretty close. And Quinn's like, yeah, you know, we kind of had a moment where it seemed like he was going to kiss me, but then he got grossed out by me in my chair. And I'm like, Quinn, that is not what happened. You weren't even in your chair when he tried to kiss you. Yay, ableism. Woo. I just feel like it's an unnecessary I get I think it's an unnecessary line I guess I get that Quinn has this internalized ableism and thinks that like oh no one could love me because I'm in a wheelchair but like girl that's reading too much into it maybe the fact that no one like calls her out on that they're all like yeah that tracks that seems correct to me that doesn't seem to track at all with what we know of Joe we know very little about Joe but I don't think he would be that rude to someone in a wheelchair yeah so uh, yeah i don't know um and she's like oh joe's not into me and i don't blame him because who would be and it's like all right quinn you used to have like every guy in the school on your arm it's not that different now that you're in a wheelchair the internalized ableism really jumped out we cut to um will and emma's apartment where Mr. Lavender is actually the guy's name. And he's this like grumpy guy who is played by the actor who plays Scully on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, by the way, is like having dinner with them and discussing their wedding. Will says that at the reception, he wants to do a rap and he wants to have the Glee kids perform at their reception. Um, I have something to say. Please. Will Schuster wanting to rap at his wedding walked so that Kendall Roy doing a rap at an important event could run. You're right, and you should say it. We don't talk about succession nearly enough on our Glee podcast. The wedding planner guy is also like, you know, I've been looking around for venues and none of them are going to accommodate a stage. 
And also it's really hard finding a venue that's going to be able to plan a wedding or fit in a wedding this soon. So Emma's again, like maybe we can look at dates that are like September, October. And Will's like, no, we have to get married in May. Dude, give me a reason. Yeah, you would think that Will was pregnant with how badly he wants to get married. The fan fiction's out there, you know it. Speaking of a horrible concept, Joe starts to approach Sam about uh, his experience dating Quinn and asks, uh, so you know how you and Quinn used to date? When you guys were together, how did you handle your feelings? And Sam has an absolute banger line for all my autistics out there. He goes, here's the thing about me. I can be super helpful, but when you ask me stuff, you have to be real specific. I'm with you. Um, and Joe explains that when he was at rehab with Quinn, he was like helping her stretch her legs and like got a little feeling down there. And had to, like, move away because he needs to resist the temptation. Sam admits that he had sex the year before when he was working in a strip club, which I don't want to think about what a bad situation that would have been. So I'm going to assume he had consensual sex with someone in his age demographic. There was a waitress who was a high schooler and working part time. Yep. He says, and Joe's like, oh, but it's a sin. We're not supposed to do it before we get married. And Sam's like, well, you have tattoos. And it's Bible also says it's a sin to like mutilate your skin or whatever. And he says, well, when the Bible was written, things were easier. There was no internet. Chicks didn't wear short skirts. And I'm a good Christian, but there's just no way a dude's going to be able to resist. And I was like kind of with him in the first half with like, yeah, things are different nowadays. You got to kind of like update some of your understanding of uh various scriptures but then he's like so i just can't help being a horn dog and i'm like sam come on it's it's a real you had me in the first half i'm not gonna lie yeah like i was with you you were so close to getting the point and then you were just like oh, but i love dicking them down you know <laughs> i love slaying mad puss Things we say on our Glee podcast that we would never say in another context. So many good, like, opening bits this episode. And we can only use one. Uh, And Joe kind of argues that, like, no, the sex sex thing still makes sense to him. Like, he wants to um, make it about respecting your body and putting the spiritual relationship with God over your physical relationship. And Sam's like, okay, you know... Ultimately, you're going to have to decide whether you want to get closer to God or whether you want to get closer to Quinn. And I don't think that's a fair dichotomy to make. You can absolutely still be a strong Christian and have a relationship. Yeah, especially since Quinn is also a Christian. Yeah, and probably would also not want to enter a sexual relationship too fast. Considering yeah, all the things she's like been if through. there's anybody who would be a good match for this ideology he has, it would be Quinn. Yeah. Anyway, does Joe know? Do we think Joe knows about Quinn having a baby? That is an excellent question. I don't think so. Maybe it would have been mentioned in the God Squad meetings because it's part of like Quinn's connection to her faith. We cut to Kurt and Blaine. Um, I think, assumably, in Kurt's bedroom or maybe Blaine's bedroom where Kurt is like walking in from the next room but he had left his but he had left his phone on the bed 
And so Blaine sees all these cutesy little texts popping up as notifications. And he's like, who's Chandler? And Kurt, rather than answering that question, goes, why are you going through my phone? And Blaine's like, so much more suspicious. Yeah. And Blaine's like, I wasn't going through your phone. It's just that this dude won't stop texting you. And so there's so many notifications popping up. Um, And one of them is, uh, when we go to New York, let's go to the front of the plaza and reenact the end of the way we were, which I don't know what the end of the way we were is, but I assume it's like a big romantic kissing scene or something like that. It's a Barbara Streisand movie. And there's another one um, that says, can you sing into my voicemail? I want to make your voice my ringtone. What the fuck? Yeah, that's weird. We have Um, surpassed any plausible deniability. Yeah. Um, If I was Blaine, I don't know how a couple would get over a situation like this. Like her bestie, I love you. You got to start explaining and explaining very fast. Yeah. And you better be putting in work overtime to fix this. Because, oof. Um, Remember when this was the worst thing that ever happened to Klain? Yeah. A simpler time. I don't necessarily think that this is cheating. But I do think Blaine has every reason to be deeply uncomfortable with it. And I do think it is a deep violation of their trust. Yeah. It's sus. It smells bad. Yeah. Um... And Blaine is like, you know, there's dozens of texts between you guys, but you haven't texted me. You Oh, you've only texted me four times in the past two days. And three of them were about co- finding peach colored shoe polish. And Kurt, again, is trying to make the argument that like, oh, it's all innocent. But Blaine says, this is cheating. And Kurt's like, well, you used to ta- uh, text Sebastian all the time. And Blaine's like, well, I didn't have a crush on Sebastian. You clearly have a crush on this guy. You love how he makes you feel. Um, I transferred schools to be with you. I changed my whole life. You should feel loved by my actions and how much I want to be with you. Blaine, Kurt does have a good line here where he says, he's like, well, you don't know what it's like being your boyfriend. You are the alpha gay. Even Rachel Rachel wanted wanted to make out with you. Can I just say, there are some scenes in Glee where it's like, ah, oh, these two actors are having a mid-off. No, Chris Colfer and Darren Chris yeah. are putting their whole crusty in this one. Yeah, they are They are acting all over the place here. And they, put them in the kitchen because they ate, you know? <laughs> yeah, and Blaine is like, you know, you could have talked to me, you could have told me that you're unhappy, and he says this is cheating, and Kurt's like, no, it's not cheating personally i don't feel like it's cheating i do think blaine has every reason to be as upset as he is though i can be not cheating and still not be great yeah and as they end the scene um kurt's like well i'm really sorry that it's made you upset but it's okay and blaine says it's not right but it's okay and we hard cut into the glee club where he goes this song is for anyone who's ever been cheated on. Staring. And Kurt goes, this is insane. I didn't cheat on you. And Brittany, absolute queen that she is, she does have the fastest land speed of any living animal. It's so fucking funny. And Blaine absolutely kills this cover. 
Um, it ends up actually, I think, kind of recreating the music video a little bit. Um, the whole Glee Club ends up joining in and like ganging up on Kurt as if all of them have not cheated on their partners at one time or another. And okay, listen, listen, here's the thing. Some of them, I will give you the right to be up there. Tina, Mike, y'all yeah. are, you get a pass. You can go stand behind Blaine and pretend to be uh, shocked and appalled at, mm. at Kurt texting someone else. Quinn, get your ass out of there. I mean, Although I, it is like the most evangelical Christian thing possible to like have done the terrible thing yourself, but then still condemn other people for it anyway. But that's neither here nor there. And, and honestly, my favorite part of this too is at the end of the number, he turns around and leaves the room before dramatic like, the, king before the music's even done. He's just like kickball change, and I'm out. Camp. We cut to Santana at her locker. And um, we do see that there is a magazine cover with her on it for like cheerleader of the month magazine or whatever. And Rachel approaches her and starts talking about like, you know, how great it was that they did so emotional together and how they really used to hate each other. But um, we have 42 days until graduation. And I just realized that I'm going to miss you. And Santana's like, whoa. This is a sweet moment, actually. Well, yeah, but she's obviously taken aback by it. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Or no, Santana's the one who says, I just realized I'm going to miss you. She says, say something irritating so I can get this taste out of my head, please. I also, do we have any idea what spawned them deciding to duet so emotional? Like, it's very good. I'm not complaining, but it was kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I think that they, like, I think that they threw this in towards the end of season three because they probably knew that they wanted Santana to become, you know, in season four when Santana, uh, Kurt and Rachel are all roommates. I think they wanted to start establishing that Santana and Rachel were a little bit friends. Yeah, that's fair. So that we couldn't accuse them of bad plotting when season four happened, which we still will. We still will. Yeah. Rachel asks Santana because they're like so chummy now. Rachel asks Santana to put up a picture of her in her locker because they're going to be such great friends now. And I'm like, Rachel, that is literally insane. Kurt doesn't even have a picture of Rachel in his locker. It's weird. Like, why would you? It's the headshot part that's weird for me because, like, stuck in the sides of my mirror, I have pictures of me with my best friends. Um, but like, that's me and my friend. It's not just like, here's my friend's headshot. We cut from there to Kurt is like putting post-it notes on all of the stuff in his room for when he's moving out of the house and moving into New York. And Bert points out a picture of Kurt and Blaine dancing at prom when Kurt had been crowned prom queen. Um, and is like, oh, you're not taking this with you? And Kurt explains, like, we're kind of on the rocks right now. And, you know, I don't know what's up with him. And, like, that is perhaps the kindest way to explain the situation. Because I think Kurt doesn't want to admit that he knows he's in the wrong. Yeah. And Bert kind of has a nice sit down with Kurt where he's like, you know, we shouldn't be throwing away all your stuff. And I'm going to be sentimental about this. Because, you know, you're going to be moving away in a couple weeks. And a, a 
Bert is also a congressman now, so he's going to be like down in D.C. more often. So they won't even be able to see each other like, you know, in between New York and Ohio. They're going to be like 10 hours away from each other in D.C. I mean, if Kurt's going to school in New York and Bert is in D.C., one could argue they're actually going to be closer than if one of them was staying in Ohio because Amtrak exists. Bert also calls them Starsky and Gay Hutch, which is pretty funny. And, you know, it's just a nice father-son moment. Um, and he talks about, you know, when Kurt mom's Kurt's mom died, he had to do a lot of letting go. And he's having to now let go of Kurt and realize that none of that childhood necessarily lasts, but they still have the memories together, even though everything's gonna change now. And he says, I'm so happy and I'm so proud. Because you and me, we made each other men. Ah! Sobbing, screaming, crying, throwing up. Just like every single possible human emotion that a person can feel. I got more emotional about this than my own college graduation. That's a lie. But like, it couldn't be. I get I get emotional about Bert Hummel. Shout out if you ever get emotional about Bert Hummel. Honestly, um, Rachel and... Santana voice, I get so emotional, baby, every time I think of you, Bert Hummel. Yeah. Um, and I guess kind of triggered by this conversation with his dad, Kurt, we go into Kurt's cover of I Have Nothing by, you guessed it, Whitney Houston. Which um, he slays. And it's, you know, sort of dedicated to his dad at first, but of course, Blaine is really pissed at him still. And as Kurt is starting to sing to him, he kind of softens up a little bit because it is a very romantic song. If I was Blaine, I don't know if this would fix everything. But it's a starting place. Yeah, I don't know. Blaine, again, a Darren Chris is face acting here, though. No lines, just eyes. He's giving face. He's, one might say he's serving face. Blaine serving face, Kurt serving cunt. It's a perfect scene. Yeah. And so um, that song ends. We don't really see like their, we don't see Blaine quite forgive him yet, but it's kind of assumed that like, that's maybe where this is headed because we had to wrap it up within 60 minutes, you know? Yeah. And Puck, we got to Puck um, giving out little like goodie bags to a couple of his friends in the locker room and he says to finn i tried to get your balls back from rachel but she's got those on lockdown and i'm like fuck Fuck off they're a cute couple and you're just fucking jealous and um he got first of all in this it's not a big gift bag but it's definitely like at least the size of finn's massive hand he got finn a guitar pick which is the size of like a quarter which i just think is funny he also got uh, Mike a shot glass that says dinosaurs on ice. And he got Blaine a shot glass that says drink till she's cute. Darren Chris's delivery on that line, honestly, though, hysterical. Yeah. Um, And he's like, you know, the clock's ticking on us, guys. I just want to make sure we all remember these bromance that we had together. I'm like, whatever. Any bromance, big or small, is a bromance after all. And he also says, uh, you know, you've stuck by me, forgiven me for sleeping with your girlfriends. Not Did they everyone... forgive you for that, bro? He shouldn't have. He really shouldn't have. And he says, you know, I'm going to miss all of you, which is sweet, I guess. But I'm like, what fucking ever? I don't care because it's Puck. 
And we cut to uh, Kurt and Blaine in Emma's office where I guess Kurt has called them both in to do a little couples counseling. And Blaine's like, "Um, are you qualified for that? To Emma. Are you qualified for that? And she goes, no, not really. But Sam and Mercedes came to talk to me one other time. So I, I think I can be helpful. And she explains that, you know, honesty is the cornerstone of a relationship and it has to feel like a safe space for both of you guys. And so they explain the situation to Emma, of course. I think Kurt's main argument is like, well, I didn't have a problem with it when you would text Sebastian. So why do you have a problem with this now? And I would just like to say, like, as far as we're aware, Blaine was never receptive to Sebastian flirting with him. I think it's a very different thing that like Kurt was going back and forth with flirty texts. That's fair. I do think there's also like a similar kind of Blaine knew Sebastian was flirting with him and did fuck all about it and kept texting him. The whole thing is dicey and it's very like they need to sort this out themselves because I'm not in this situation and I don't want to be. And so they start like kind of expressing some of the other things that they're annoyed with each other about. And Blaine says, Kurt has a tendency to snap his fingers at waitstaff. The cheesecake's on its way. You don't have to snap your fingers. It's not going to make it come any faster. And he's right. Oh, and Blaine says, you need to also stop (laughs) slipping bronzer into my moisturizer because I only use lotion on my hands and it looks weird if a person just has tan hands. And Blaine finally says, you know, I don't like that with every conversation, we always end up talking about Miata. It's always about callbacks and singing songs and how amazing New York is. But you're going to leave for New York in a couple weeks, in a couple months, and you'll just be gone with these brand new life and brand new friends. And I'm going to be still stuck here. And now we're really getting to like the core of what's going on between them. Now Um, we're fucking cooking. Yeah. And he says, you know, you're the love of my life, but I'm going to have to learn what being alone is like next year. And like, oof. But Kurt promises, you know, I'm going to be visiting as often as possible and you're not going to lose me. And they say they love each other. And it's very sweet. Again, I feel like kind of wrapped up pretty quickly. It was just kind of thrown at them. It's literally, they put this plot point in here so that they had an excuse for Darren Chris to sing It's Not Right, But It's Okay. Mission accomplished. We can resolve it now. Yeah. Also, I do feel like of all of the Glee couples to resolve an argument quickly just by being honest with each other, it is Blaine and Kurt who I think that works for. Sure. Speaking of a couple that maybe can't solve their problems so easily uh we cut to will and emma again where he is suggesting that because they want a wedding venue that has a stage that they get married on like a outdoor campground by route nine which i assume is a highway and it's got you know electrical hookups and like space for rvs and she's like "Mm, no i'm not going to get married outdoors on a campground she's literally like i have ocd i throw away a broom after i've used it once and you want me to get married on a campground yeah um and this is where we get to kind of the the root problem with will where he's like no i need to have the wedding before all of the glee kids move away and emma's like well first of all they'll probably come back for the wedding but second of all fucking will it's don't you have any goddamn adult friends 
He doesn't. We've been over this. He doesn't. He has no one else to fucking invite to his wedding besides these high schoolers. Ugh. Every year, you know, these kids inspire me. And three years ago, I was just a Spanish teacher. And now I'm going to nationals for the second time. And I'm marrying you and everything's going so well. And so I'm just going to miss the kids so much when they move away. And what, and Emma's like, I don't care when our wedding happens. It's just about us getting married. We need to not be rushing this just so that, I mean, it's very similar to the the Finn and Rachel situation. We need to not be rushing this just because you feel insecure right now. And she's literally like, if we had our wedding 10 years from now on the moon, those kids would be there. Yeah. And I think that they would. And we cut to... All the couples are kind of communicating with each other towards the end of this episode. Uh, Joe expresses, you know, that he really does like Quinn. And he says, you're the prettiest, nicest, best smelling girl I've ever met. And Quinn says, how many girls have you met? Weren't you homeschooled? Yeah, Quinn's like, "Uh, wasn't the only girl you interacted with your mom and your sister, maybe? Quinn expresses, you know, it's easy to kind of get down on myself because I've just lost so much recently. And Joe is like, you know, I wish you could see yourself the way that I see you because I just see per- perfection. And um, she asks, well, do you want me to be your girlfriend? Which is weird because they haven't even been on a date yet. They haven't been on a date. Yeah. And he says, well, my faith means everything to me. And um, I just... I want to know what it's like to be with you right up next to you. But, and, and she says, you would give up your faith to be with me. That's dramatic. That's dramatic. That is not what's being asked. Also, I don't necessarily think it's a particularly romantic scene for Joe to be just like, oh, you're so pretty. I want to fuck you so bad. I, where's the romance? Yeah. Um, And so they kind of just, I think, I guess they kind of agree for now to just, like, take it slow. And I think it actually kind of uh, helps Quinn's uh, self-esteem in general because she's like, hey, I still got it. Yeah. I can still make a guy kind of fall in love with me very effortlessly. And then we do one more scene with Kurt and Blaine where they do forgive each other a little bit. Uh, You know, uh, Kurt says he's not texting Chandler anymore. Apparently, he sends Blaine a kind of flirty test text and says like, "Oh, but it's unscheduled," implying that like they're gonna go make out in a classroom or somewhere. Everyone is going to the auditorium to hang out for like the final Whitney song of the episode, and it is uh, "My Love Is Your Love," and it is also pretty good. It's a Mercedes solo, so I don't have like strong critiques. This yeah, is not my favorite song of the episode, but it's good. Yeah, all in a, like it's uh, fine. You know, it's it's a good. I like when they end a Glee episode with just like a big group number where everyone's having fun. No notes. I would say my favorite song of the episode is "How Well I Know," just because the arrangement. I just bask in like the beautiful blend of their voices. I mean, I'm basic as hell. I love it's not right, but it's okay. <laughs> And that's okay. Honestly, there's not a bad song this episode. Yeah. Saving all the love for you is kind of, but like all of it's good. Yeah. It's a little milk toast, saving all my love for you. Like 
it's hard when you don't have like that much of an emotional connection to these new characters it's like do i really care about this but like it's fine i think they could have given it to sam and mercedes who as we know have just like kind of sort of sort of gotten back together will also didn't do anything illegal this episode however implying that he and emma should get married at a campground is grounds for divorce and they're not even married yet and next episode is uh similar to one we did earlier this season so much happens in the episode choke we get the miata auditions we get puck almost failing history or failing history um we get more of the Coach Beast plot line that I will not make jokes about. So much happens. I will make jokes about um, Rachel Berry absolutely bombing her audition, though. Bombing so hard that they named the episode after it. Some things are okay to make jokes about and some things aren't. And so then, since we have some time, let's do our final segment. And here's what you didn't miss on Glee, where we look through our Spotify playlists and we pick a song that glee did not do but we will tell you how glee would have done that song uh just the two of us by will smith how do you Fuck. think they- it's gonna be a will schuster song and he's gonna sing it to uh! his son. He's gonna fucking rap to his baby son oh i hate how you're right i hate okay. how you're right okay it's so it's got to be will right because it's got to be like cringy dad rap making it marginally better it could be a Bert Hummel song because I would like to see Mike O'Malley give it his all. I think he could make it fun and charming as opposed to Will Schuster doing it just cringe. Because he would be doing his best, but he would know that like his best was not fantastic, but also he would know that's okay. Yeah, similar to I think at the end of the season he does like a little singer ladies dance for Kurt as just like a thing to make his son laugh. That's great. So uh, in order to avoid Will Schuster rapping, I'll just say that I'll have Bert do it. Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj. A classic. I mean, Santana, probably, right? Probably. She'd kill it. She only has, she's the only one with like the sass levels for it. Um, Oh my God. You know how they made Sue do Super Bass? Oh my God. Don't tell me. (laughs) Can we have a Santana Sue duet of Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj? How much would they have to censor that song to? Oh, so much. I can lick it. I can ride it while you slip it and slide in. I do all the little tricks. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, think of how bad. I, you could do the chorus. Okay. F-R-E-A-K. F-R-E-A-K. You could do that. Yeah, you could. They would do it for the Halloween episode then. I I want to see Jane Lynch do more Nicki Minaj songs. I think it's funny. Can I... Uh, put out another suggestion though you know in season four when they do the like folk acapella cover of uh, baby got back they could yeah. do a similar like complete rearrangement where it's not a rap song at all they just like genuinely sing it like a ballad i love it no notes um so yeah we will see you guys next week uh where we just get into another episode that is a lot and that's okay That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SingStationsPod. That is S-I-N-G-S-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D. Please vote in our polls. Please rate us on your platforms. I'm very tired. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.